The following audio is from Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Welcome, my name is Kenan Vaughn. So excited that uh, I'm here with you and, and we're here together to worship the Lord and to hear from his word. And that is what we're going to see, his final instruction to his followers this morning. If you'll open to Luke chapter 24, we're in our final passage in the Gospel of Luke. And the way we've done this, and if you haven't been here since the inception of Harvest, You probably missed part of it, but it's all available online. We have been through the Gospel of Luke uh, over the course of three springs. So 2014, 15, and now 16, we've taken the ministry of Christ and then the teachings of Christ and now the passion of Christ, and we've worked our way through nearly the entirety of this Gospel. And so today is the closing message here as he gives his commission in Luke 24, 36 through 53. Before I get to the text, um, I'll start with a, um, just a, a little illustration. My, my buddy, a, a good friend of mine, some of you know Nathan Malika. And uh, Nathan and I went to, uh, were friends since high school. And um, Nathan ended up, uh, after high school, going to West Point. And uh, he joined the Army. And he became a uh, soldier, a great soldier, uh, was promoted through the ranks of the Army, uh, was trained and, and um, confirmed as an Army Ranger, uh, led up an all-ranger platoon, uh, has been de- deployed several times, received all kinds of medals um, uh, for his service, and uh, as recently as last week was promoted as a lieutenant colonel in the Army. Now he has the, uh, been given the command of an entire battalion um, and is uh, being restationed in, uh, just north of Austin, Texas. Well, I remember the first time that Nathan was deployed or was commissioned to deploy, and this was probably about 15 years ago, and he told myself and some of our buddies um, over Christmas that uh, they had received their orders and they were going to be deployed to Afghanistan. And um, I remember my heart kind of sunk, and I thought, wow, uh, you know, Nate is, is going to war. And I, uh, I said to him, just kind of what, what came out was, Nate, I'm, uh, gosh, I'm sorry, man, we're going to be praying for you. And Nathan looked at me, just kind of shrinking, said, Kenan, he said, uh, no, 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 I don't, I don't think you understand. Don't be sorry. He said, we've been dying for our chance to go. He says, this is, this is what we train for. This is our privilege. He says, we are overjoyed that it's our turn. And I remember just going, oh, okay, and, and I, I didn't understand that at all then. Even now, don't fully understand that. But I have spent some time just understanding how much they put into training Those soldiers from, think about hundreds of briefings, all kinds of exercises, waking up early in the morning to go through physical and emotional and mentally exhausting training to prepare themselves, always being trained, always being equipped, always being trained, always being equipped. The worst nightmare, Nate says, for any soldier is to be always training and never deployed. And so as it is for a soldier, as it is for the church... The greatest tragedy in the church of Jesus Christ is that we be a church that is always gathering, always gathering, always training, always being equipped, but never being deployed. You know, in the scriptures, um, in the mind of Christ, the church was far, far more a battleship than a cruise ship. You may have heard that before. Just think about it. The idea of a cruise ship is the idea that that the goal is to feed and entertain and to make sure everyone is happy. That's that's it. That's the whole goal of of the staff serving on a cruise ship. And yet, a battleship is very different. The idea of a battleship is that you keep everyone alert, um, everyone equipped, everyone engaged in an ever-present battle that is right before you. And in the New Testament, we don't see cruise ship. 
In the New Testament church, we see a, a hunkered down band of missional believers literally on the front, front lines. It's all hands on deck. There's this great sense of urgency. There's this life or death at stake. We see a battleship. And we look around the church today, here in the Bible Belt, Western Christianity, and oftentimes what we see today doesn't really match up to what we see in Scripture. It looks a little tame compared to what we see in Scripture. And this text that we're going to see today, it's not a hard one to understand. It's not a theologically hairy one. But I want to tell you, this text is vital to keep at the center of our focus, lest we slide into cruise ship mentality. Lest, as Nathan said, we forsake our privilege. This is our privilege to deploy. So let's pray and we'll look at this text. Father, thank you that you have established your church. And in your own words, in Matthew 16, you said, um, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, that is a church marching. That is a church on mission. That is a church empowered by your very power and presence to do the work of establishing your kingdom on this earth. And that's us. Like, we're the church. So God, I pray that today you would just instill in us just a reminder, a recognition, even a longing to act upon our privilege, to savor the very words of this text that say you are deployed. And we will praise you for that. Lord, as I teach this morning, I must decrease and you must increase. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so this text is uh, the end of the Gospel of Luke. And just notice with me that the Gospel of Luke doesn't end with resurrection. Like as enamored as we are, as overwhelmed as we are with the resurrection of Christ, as we should be, that's not where the text, that's not where the gospel of Luke ends. That's not where Luke stopped writing. And there's a reason for that. The account doesn't end with resurrection. It ends with commission. It ends with how we are to live in light of the resurrection. Amen? And so let's see it here in 36. And I touched on this two weeks ago at Easter, but I don't think it'll hurt if we, uh, if we go there again. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. So just to recount, these are the disciples. They are... Um, uh, they are in a room, in, uh, locked in a room in Jerusalem, and they are frightened. They're in fear of their lives. And as they talked about these things, Jesus stood among them or appeared among them. Getting a little reverb. Maybe turn me down just a touch before I knock myself out. If that happens, D, you just pick it up and keep going, okay? Okay, and he said to them, peace to you. Peace to you. Uh, which, again... Jesus resurrected from the dead. This is his first appearance to his disciples just after the road to Emmaus. Peace to you. Great first words when you're appearing from the dead. That will probably never be our experience, but that was his. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, it's a rhetorical question. It's somewhat obvious. They're going, because we just saw you crucified, dead, and buried. And now you're standing before us, and you didn't even knock. Okay, I understand that. And so I think Jesus says too, because he says, see my hands and my feet like it's me, it's myself. Touch me and see. So he invites them to see him, to touch him. He says, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Great picture, great glimpse of the glorified body. And when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, they still disbelieved for joy, in other words, their doubt was turning to marvel, it says, and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. 
And he took it and he ate it before him. Do you all see what Luke's doing here? I mean, he's accounting what actually happened, but, but, but the detail he gives us is showing us something. Here we have a, a, an, immortal man, a, an immortal man with mortal wounds who is standing before them as one who just appeared in a locked room, who is saying, see my body, touch me, see the wounds, give me fish, let me eat before you. Luke's going to meticulous detail to make sure we understand the validity of the resurrection of Christ, that he is risen indeed. And because he's risen, I want to say that the rest of this text, 44 through 53, I believe it, 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 um, it gives us the privilege of the Christian. Like in light of the resurrected Christ, in light of the fact that he is who he said he was, he is the Messiah, he is Savior, he is King, that brings great privilege into our life. The first privilege, 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, <clears throat> that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so the first thing we see is Jesus says, Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, they all point to me. Like, they're all to be Christologically understood and interpreted. So Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Um, the, the law of Moses speaks of one who will have his heel bruised by Satan, and yet he will crush the head of Satan. As my five-year-old prays every night, thank you that you will crush the head of Satan. That's, he loves Genesis 3. Okay, and, and then uh, the Passover. And, and uh, we see there in Exodus 12 that there will be a lamb slain, lamb slain for the sins of the people. We see in Leviticus 16 and 17, a scapegoat will take the, take the sin of the people and be exiled so that the people can go free. And so what we see in the law of Moses is that there is going to be a lamb slain. There's going to be one who must suffer and die, and yet he will crush the head of Satan. He'll conquer sin, Satan, death, and the grave. Do you see this? And then the prophets, Isaiah through Zechariah, we see uh, one who will, um, Zechariah says he will come humble, mounted, uh, ride in Jerusalem, mounted on a donkey, um, that he will, uh, uh, Isaiah says, be a suffering servant who is pierced for our transgressions, who is um, crushed for our iniquities. He'll be like a lamb led to the slaughter um, who will be silent. And yet it says that by his wounds we will be healed. And it says that he will establish in the prophets, it says he will establish a kingdom over all the earth. Do you see this? Suffering servant, king over all the earth. And then you get to the Psalms, and we mentioned it on Easter Sunday, Psalm 22. Uh, the Psalms um, tell of a, of a Messiah who will take the sin of the nation on his back and will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet it says his um, bones will not be broken, his body will not see decay. Do y'all see the mystery forming here in the Old Testament and the anticipation of a Messiah? That there will be one who must suffer and die, and yet he must live and reign. Do you guys see that? So he must be killed, his blood must be shed, but he can't stay dead. He's got to conquer death in order to reign. Do you see this? This was a mystery. Paul says in the New Testament six times, it's a mystery. And the eyes of Israel veiled, they couldn't see it. But the mystery makes no sense until Jesus Christ shows up, is crucified, dead and buried, and then resurrects. And that's why Paul writes to the Corinthian church, all of the promises of God are yes in Christ. Do you understand? Your Old Testament must be Christologically interpreted. 
It doesn't make sense without a risen Christ. So the first privilege we have in knowing the risen Christ is that we can understand our Bibles. Amen? Isn't that something? Like it makes sense to us. And look what the text says. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It made sense to them for the first time. The mystery became understandable, tangible. And he said to them, and here's our message, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise. That's the message of the gospel. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Um, There's the offer, the invitation, repentance and forgiveness of sin, proclaimed in his name. There's the basis of our forgiveness in the person and work of Jesus, in his death and resurrection. And look at this, to all nations, there's the scope of our message. Did y'all see that? We get the message, we get its invitation, its offer, we get its basis, and we get its scope. Beginning from Jerusalem and going all the way to Memphis. Amen? We're about as far as you can get from Jerusalem. And the gospel message has circled the globe because these guys are commissioned. Now look what it says. This message should be proclaimed. Now he's... (laughs) In case you're wondering, that's a great idea. Everybody know, who ought to tell them? Okay, we're about to see who's to proclaim the message. But understand right here that the gospel is not meant to merely be understood and enjoyed. Y'all with me? The first privilege in knowing a resurrected Christ, understand the gospel. We enjoy the feast of the gospel. But that's not the final privilege. The final privilege is that we get to be heralds of the gospel. We get to be the carriers. Now, I know we're unworthy vessels. I know it's an undeserved privilege, but it is ours if we're in Christ. We get to proclaim the gospel to the nations. You guys may or may not remember because it was four months ago, um, I believe, when I preached a message out of 2 Kings 6. You guys remember uh, if you were here that day, that Sunday, we saw um, Syria, the big bad orcs of the Old Testament, so to say. I mean, they were the, the, the feared army, pagan army. They, they raped and pillaged and murdered and tortured. Everyone feared them, and they were conquering in their world empire. And uh, they surrounded Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel. And they had, they had the, the, the city of Samaria surrounded. They were besieging it, which means they're going to starve out the people. And the Israelites that were inside the city knew we can't go out because of fear of the enemy. Like, they'll torture us before they kill us if we go out there. So they're in the city literally starving to death, afraid to go outside the city walls, just hoping for some miracle of God to save them. Then you picture these four little lepers outside the city wall. They're not even allowed in the city because they're lepers. And they're going, hey, what are we going to do? Everyone's starving to death. In the city, they were literally living off dove's dung and donkey's heads. That's all they had left to eat. Isn't that sad? And these four lepers say, hey, what are we going to do? We can't go in the city anyway, but even if we could, there's no food. We'd still starve. And they look across the valley to the enemy lines, the camp, the encampment of the Syrians. They say, you know, what if we go over there? They're they're probably going to kill us, but at least it'd be a quick death. But what if they have mercy? Like, what if by some chance at least they have provision that could save our lives? Let's try it. What do we have to lose? We're starving lepers. And so these lepers go over. Uh, early uh, at dawn one morning they go to the Syrian camp thinking it'll be the last day of their lives and little did they know that in the night God had brought an army of angelic host and scared off the Syrians they thought the armies of the Egyptians were attacking it was, it was God bringing an angelic host to, to bring them a sound of a rushing army and horses and, uh, and they, they fled 
they literally fled the encampment. These four lepers come into this massive army encampment filled with gold and silver and more importantly, a feast of every possible food you could imagine. And as you and I would have done, they run into the tent and they start gorging themselves. They can't even believe the, the mercy and grace of God. And they're eating and feasting till they're probably nearly sick of their stomach. And then one of them makes a comment that's so profound. He says, wait a minute. Three little buddies look up. You know, food just gushing down their bodies. And he says, what we're doing is wrong. Like, what are you talking about? What we're doing is wrong. And he, he said this, today is a day of good news. The grace of God, this is good news. And yet there are people who are hungry. We must not be silent. That's the message for the church. We have come upon a feast that is undeserved. It is the mercy of God, the gospel feast, which is meant, yes, to satisfy in abundance, but not merely to satisfy because today is a day of good news. That there are those who don't know, those who are still starving to death on the things of this world. And we must not keep silent. Amen? I've heard the saying, and I think it's true, we're all nobodies telling everybody about somebody that can save anybody. That's the church. Beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever acted on your privilege? Have you ever shared the gospel? Like, have you... Have you shared the good news of the gospel feast that is satisfying, present tense, your soul with someone who doesn't know or doesn't believe? I love, I love that missions moment. Audrey and Rick sharing the gospel to these children in Bangladesh, 50 brand new believers in a, in a Muslim entrenched, unreached people group. Isn't that something? Like, have, like what a privilege! To be the, the, the mouthpiece that shares the feast and see these children, God illumine their hearts, give them understanding that changes not just their reality, but their eternity. Have, have, you ever, have you ever acted upon your privilege? Can I ask a question that might be behind that one? Have you ever asked God to give you a chance to share the gospel? Think about that. Have your prayers ever sounded anything like this? God, I'm horrible at this, but I want to be engaged in the work of the commission. Like, will you send someone to me today? Because I don't know how to find them, but you know where they are, God. You know where everybody is. Can you send me someone today who is lost, confused? Maybe they're discouraged. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe their life's falling apart, but they're hungry. And can you give me the words to share so I don't totally set the faith back 100 years? Will you do that today? Can you imagine if you pray that in the morning? How that alters the reality of every interaction you have that day. Because what are you thinking? Every person you come into contact with, you know what you're thinking? This might be the one. This might be the one that God has placed in my path to share the gospel. Like you are always on the precipice of seeing transformation. Of seeing God work salvifically in somebody's life. You're, you're living on the edge. And how you answer that second question about what do your prayers look like will tell me a lot about how you would answer that first question. Have you ever shared the gospel? Make no mistake, this is our privilege. Now you might be saying, well, uh, 
it's kind of uncomfortable. Is it enough for me just to read my Bible and come to church? Like, can I just enjoy, like, like so far, are you sure that's there? I would like to just enjoy the privilege of the feast for a while. Look at the next verse. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father. Now we know that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Upon you, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Can I ask you a question? How much power from on high does it take to read your Bible and go to church? Not that much. Not that much. That you must wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit to clothe you with power. You know what that's for? That's not for the privilege of coming to church and reading our Bible, which is a privilege. That's for the privilege of heralding the gospel in a lost world where you'll be misunderstood, people will be offended, and you'll be persecuted. That takes faith. That takes courage. That takes the supernatural work of God. And that's why he says, wait until you are clothed with power. The gathering together of the church, the church gathered is not the end of the church. The church scattered is the end. We gather for refueling, for encouragement. Uh, We read our Bibles not merely as an end in and of itself, not merely to learn and enjoy, but so that we are equipped to share the good news of the feast of the gospel with a world that doesn't know, so that we can be faithful with the commission. That's why we bring you up out of the tank after we baptize you. That's why we don't leave you under and send you on to glory. It's because you've been commissioned. Paul said, look, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Make no mistake, we'd be doing you a favor to leave you under. But Paul says, I'll stay here and remain for your progress and furtherance and joy in the faith. You've been commissioned, so we bring you out. And because I don't want to go to jail. But we want you to deploy. We want you to act upon your privilege. That's why we're here. He clothes us with power because this is our purpose. And some of you are probably thinking even now, beginning to have a cold sweat and thinking of those people in your life that maybe don't know Christ, that he's giving you the privilege and how nervous that makes you. And you're going, you know what? Uh, but you don't, understand. You, don't, you don't know. The people I'm thinking of, Ken, they're, they're, so, um, they're so harsh to the things of God. They're, they're so anti-gospel, like you don't understand, and there's just this sense of fear, and you know what, I'm afraid to do that. If you knew my neighbor, if you knew my coworker, if you knew my family member, uh, you, you, would, you would understand that this is, this is really um, an exercise in futility. Let me just say this. I totally understand what it is to be afraid to share the gospel. I wish the, the moment you graduated seminary and they made you a pastor, like that fear left, but it doesn't work that way. I'm rarely, un- I'm rarely comfortable, or totally comfortable, sharing the gospel with a lost person. Rarely is that a piece of cake for me. There's always a discomfort. There's always a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. There's always a little bit of a sweat on my brow. Sometimes I'm absolutely terrified. I've told y'all some about my grandfather um, on the ranch in Texas. Uh, just a little piece of heaven on earth to me. It's, it's, um, it's just... Ah, gosh, my, my greatest memories are there with my granddad, my dad, who I love. It's where my dad grew up, a little cattle ranch down south of Austin, Texas. And I loved it so much. My grandfather was a hard man. So picture, I always compare him to John Wayne. He's just this hard rancher cowboy. Doesn't talk much, period. But when he does, it's certainly not about the things of God. Uh, and I was going through this time in my life, 
the Lord was really getting a hold of my heart, and I felt like he was calling me to ministry. I mean, God had radically changed my life, as he has done many of yours, through the knowledge of Christ. And I just felt this burden to share with my granddad. And I felt it about three months before I went to the ranch that summer. And I remember, I mean, I, for three months I was nervous about how am I possibly, but I knew that this is, what I, this, is what, this, is, this is what the Holy Spirit's leading me to do. And I remember getting out there, and as usual, Pop and I, we could work together 10 or 12 hours. But talking about the things of God couldn't have been more uncomfortable. And so one day, in the middle of the day after lunch, we usually would sit on the back porch, kind of overlooking a couple hundred acres of, of pasture and cattle grazing. And we'd usually just drink a little of my grandmother's sweet tea, which was oh, unbelievable. That's another sermon for itself. And we would sit and drink, and, and uh, that's when we would usually talk about, you know, if there was anything we were going to talk about, and, or maybe just kind of talk about the work we had done or were going to do. Well, we were sitting out there, and I remember going, hey, this, this is it. Like, the, the lump, there was a lump in my throat. My mouth got all, like, dry. Like, I felt like I couldn't talk. And, and in my spirit, I was just praying, okay, God, I don't know how to do this. And so I'm sitting there with Pop. We've never, in my 20 years of life thus far, we had never said a thing about God. We never t- discussed the things of God. And I finally lobbed out, at least I think I did. I lobbed out, hey, Pop, uh, do you believe in God? And for the next three minutes, I sat in utter silence. He didn't say a word. He didn't even look at me. Just stared straight ahead. And I remember thinking, I got to a point where I thought, did I actually say that or did I just say it in my head? (laughs) Like, I'm not 100% sure I just said anything. And so I thought, I can't give up right here. I need to say one more thing. And, and I stumbled out. I said, you know, Pop, I, 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 don't, I don't mean to offend you. I just asked because God has changed my life with this knowledge of Jesus. And I just, just kind of wondered what you thought about that. About three more minutes passed. And this time I was like, I know I said it. <laughs> and then Pop uh, just, just got out of his rocker and put his cup down, and I didn't know what, I got up, and I followed him, and next thing I know, we're building fence again. Not a word. But you know what happened? This is crazy. Every Sunday uh, at the ranch, I would go, and I would go to little, my, my grandmother and I would go to a little church in Harwood called Harwood Methodist, and, and I don't think church like, like this even. Think like a little outhouse looking deal, and you know, maybe 15, 20 cowboys come in. They've been working all morning, literally manure all over their jeans. There was a little, there was a little hat rack, and they all put the cowboy hat on the deal on the way in, and, and you sit down. And if you're preaching, they're t- I mean, it's more of a conversation. And, you know, we're just, you kind of talk. And uh, every time I would show up, the pastor, who was the headmaster at the little Harwood High School, he would always say, uh, we got a preacher. And uh, they'd bring me up front, give us a message. And so after one time of that, I realized I better come with a message. And... Uh, <laughs> And so I get up there and talk, and, um, and I came home that next Sunday. It had probably been four or five days since I had the awkward moment with Pop. I came home uh, from church that Sunday with my grandma, and I walked in the house, and I heard a strange sound. And it sounded like me talking, but I was the one listening. And so uh, I walked around the kitchen, and I looked over, and my grandfather was sound asleep on the couch. And there was a little audio cassette player, and it was a tape of my sermon the Sunday before from this little Methodist church. Now, the bad news is he was asleep. (laughs) I recognize that, but don't rain on the parade. Uh, The good news was there was some seeds that went into some soil that wasn't quite as concrete hard as I thought 
when I said, hey, Pop, God's changed my life through a knowledge of Jesus. I want to know what you think about it. Pop didn't know how to engage me in that conversation. Maybe there was pride. Maybe he was as scared as I was. But there was something in him that said, I want to hear more about this change in your life. It's because of your relationship with Christ. And he had gone to the trouble of finding somebody that had an audio cassette tape of the last week's sermon, gotten it, and was listening to it. Now, that wasn't much of a gospel presentation on my part. I think we can all agree, I didn't nail that. But I still to this day wonder how God might have used that to illumine my grandfather to the truth of Christ. That is our privilege. Like, that's what we're here for. And let me, let me kind of tell you how this works, because I know it's intimidating. The, the text says that we're clothed with power. Do you know that the, the word for power is the same word that Gideon uh, it says he was clothed with power, and he was, I can't tell the whole story, but he was basically given this impossible text, uh, task. And he knew that it was impossible. He said, God, I can't do it. And, and it said, stay here, and he clothed him with power to do the impossible. Here's what I want you to understand. When we share the gospel, we are up to an impossible task. We cannot, in our human strength or brilliance, we cannot regenerate someone's heart. Only God can do it. It's impossible to man. That's why we're told, don't even, don't even attempt this, Without me, wait here. Like, don't, don't rush off in your excitement. Wait to be clothed with the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, happens for us at conversion. But you wait until you have the Holy Spirit because you can't do this without me. Here's how it's going to work. When I come, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, here's what he's going to do. He's going to give you the strength and the courage and the faith to open your mouth. He'll even give you the words. And then what he's going to do is he's going to take the heart of the lost guy and he's going to stir in that heart and he's going to soften that heart. He's going to bring conviction to that heart. He's going to illumine that heart. He's going to regenerate that heart. He's going to convert that heart. He's going to save that heart. He's going to sanctify that heart. He's going to sustain that heart and he will raise that heart one day and glorify in the presence of Christ. Now, what was my role again? You open your mouth. Jesus is saying, just... Just be there. Be aware. Battleship mentality. Just open your mouth, and I will literally bring dead men to life. Like, I'll bring dry bones and make them live again. I'll take blind men and make them see. Like, you just, you just witness of me, of the truth of the risen Christ, and I will do the impossible. And so it's like we go up to people that God places, and it's kind of like we have a cross, and we just have this, this message of the risen. It's like holding a cross up to, up to their heart. And we, we don't know what the Holy Spirit has done to prepare them for this moment. Like, we, don't, we can't see it. We don't know. That's what's so exciting about this deal. But sometimes the Holy Spirit has, has raked this, this trench down their heart and just killed them in their self-righteousness. And they're drowning in their emptiness. And they're so tired of self-help and they're so tired of works righteousness. They're desperate for grace. They've gotten downwind of themselves. They don't like it. They're spiritually bankrupt. And the Holy Spirit has just raked them across their heart. And salvation by grace through faith in risen Christ used to be offensive and now they yearn for it to be true. And then here you come with the message of the cross. And you get that cross up near that heart 
that the Holy Spirit has raked these two troughs in. And I mean, you get that thing close and bam, you witness a dead man come to life. Oh, that's what a way to live, huh? That's what's so incredible about asking God, hey, God, um, let's do that thing today where I'm awakened to the things of God and I bumble something out that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and then you save a guy. Will you use me for that again today? I think nothing warms the heart of God than you recognizing it's your privilege to be involved. You're you're not gonna do it perfectly. You're totally dependent on him to do the whole thing. But please, don't let me miss it. Like that, is that not a privilege? It's not just to revel in the feast. It's not just to enjoy it that we get to be a part of seeing salvation go forth into the lives of those who are hungry. Well, threefold privilege. I think the first is understanding the Bible. The second is that we get to proclaim it. And thirdly, it says that he goes with us. It says, you wait here until you're clothed with power. In Acts 1, he says, uh, wait here until you receive the promise. Same, same word, promise. And he says there, which is the Holy Spirit. You wait for me. Once you have me, then I will lead you and you follow. So I will be with you. Here's the way he says it in Matthew's great commission. He says, you go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says, and lo, I am with you to the very end of the age, which always reminds me of a, of a funny story of a, a pastor in Texas who was driving to Colorado uh, for a mission trip. And along the way, he stops at a gas station. He's talking to a gal. He shares what he's doing. Uh, where are you from? Texas. Where are you going? California. Wait, why, why are you driving? No, oh, I don't really like to fly. You mean you're afraid to fly? Yeah, okay, that's the truth. I'm afraid to fly. Don't you Christians know that Jesus said he's with you as you go? And the pastor said, no, 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 no. He said, hello, I am with you as you go. <laughs> now, I like that one because I don't like to fly. But understand that's not the text. Low means behold. It means this, behold, you open your mouth and I'm right there with you. Amen. What a privilege that we go in the power and with the presence of God himself when we're on mission for Christ. Um, I just have this thought that um, keeps coming to me this week. There, I don't know how many will be in worship today, but probably well over a thousand people will, will worship here in this facility today. And I just, I just couldn't help but think, like, what if a thousand of us were, were bold enough to kind of, like, to, to say, hey, you know what, between now and next Sunday, why don't, we just, why don't we just have seven days where we pray, hey, God, today, I'm scared, and I don't know, and I can't imagine this going well, but I want to be awake. Bring somebody into my path that might desperately want to know you and doesn't even know how to ask, and give me the words and let me make tangible the risen Christ. Like, what if a thousand? You know what I think would happen if we lived with that battleship mentality and every single day there was a thousand of us willing to be vessels of the truth? You know what I believe would happen between now and next Sunday? I believe that there would be people, maybe even many people, who would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ this week. By the way, that would be way more effective than just trying to invite everyone we know that doesn't know Jesus and get them to church and hope that the message, that's, that may work, but how much more effective if a thousand of us 
out there on the highways and byways were the message. You know why I think people would be saved if we did that? Because the Bible says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And yet it's our privilege to be laborers. Let me show you how the text ends. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Like the privilege that God had given them, which was you get to understand your Bible, you get to share the gospel, and you'll never do it alone, I am with you. It just, they were overwhelmed with joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Can I tell you this? I think there is great joy and knowing the risen Christ. And anyone who sincerely knows Christ knows that great joy. I think there's also great joy in understanding the Bible. And I think some Christians experience that great joy because I think a lot of Christians forsake that privilege, don't really study their Bible. I think for a lot of Christians it sits on a shelf and they don't really know it and they come to church and they try to bring it with them here and there to feel spiritual, but they don't really know it. So they, they just miss the privilege. They miss the feast. And then there's great joy in proclaiming the gospel, and I think few Christians ever know that joy. Because that's what Jesus said, harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I think few know the joy that they knew. Let me close with an illustration here. I wanna tell you the difference in a float trip and a whitewater rafting trip. And I didn't know this until uh, this last summer because I went on my first float trip. I'd been whitewater rafting. I loved whitewater rafting. I'd never been on a float trip. And I took my wife to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which was so much fun, for a 10-year anniversary trip. And I, one thing I promised her, because she's a real beach girl. She loves to go, into, especially if we're going to be free of the kids, which is like never, then she, she wants just no distraction. Give me some waves, um, a magazine, like Kenan, if you don't talk, that's okay. You know, it's like she just kind of wants to be. And so I had talked her into this Jackson Hole, which to her sounded far more kind of activity-oriented and less, and I get that that feels very selfish. And so what I promised her was, we're, I'm not going to run your ragged. We're not going to do all this crazy stuff. Or we're not going to do all the hiking and biking and rafting. Oh, man, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is really take it easy. And so part of me proving that was I booked us on a float trip. That sounds pretty easy. And so... We were on the Snake River. Gosh, it was gorgeous. This panorama landscapes that were breathtaking. We got in this raft. You didn't have to obviously wear a helmet. You didn't have to sign anything. I mean, you just sat there and this guy, I mean, sometimes there weren't even a current. This guy's, you know, paddling to make sure we keep going. And, and we're just easing down this winding river for several hours. And by the way, it's exactly what's advertised. You float. And, uh, and it was, by the way, it was soothing and relaxing, beautiful, saw some eagles, saw some osprey, like it was amazing. But I did notice something. Uh, one point, uh, first of all, I noticed that we were the only ones like maybe, maybe south of 60 on the float trip. And, uh, and the others, the, that's no offense, that was just our float trip. And, uh, and, and I noticed that as we were floating, uh, one of the ladies had uh, moved off her little seat on the side of the raft and was kind of sitting in the middle. And she just kept saying, oh, this is so relaxing. And I kept thinking, this lady's going to fall asleep. Well, the next thing I know, I look around, and she's just out. She's, she's totally sounds like the guy's kind of talking, and she's just snoring through it. The next thing I know, her husband thinks, you know, that looks pretty comfortable. He gets down and sits in the raft. He goes to sleep. So now there's only Catherine and I and one other couple Lo and behold, the, the uh, wife and that couple gets on the ground. I said, oh, my goodness, this is like group nap. That's what they, they should say, a group nap trip. Three of the six people sound asleep. 
I'm, you know, I'm going, hey, there's no way we paid 100 bucks each to take a nap. Like, we are going to stay awake. By the way, very relaxing, saw things that were amazing. I'm not trying to down the float trip, but just understand, that's a float trip. You with me? Can I tell you for a moment about a whitewater rafting trip? I remember the first time I was on the Akoe, if you've ever been on the Akoe, and, and we need to do this, like, in our church, we need to do this, like, maybe today, but... We, uh, I remember going there. I had no idea what I was in for because not only was it my first rafting trip, it was my first rafting trip on a legit river. Like it was real uh, class three, class four rapids. We were doing the section that they used to train for the Olympic Games. I was just excited. I was a teenager, had no idea what I was getting into. And, um, and I get on this deal. The first thing we had to do is sign a waiver. And I remember when I was signing it, they, they had highlighted parts you had to read. And one part said something that was kind of like you could die. And I, because I remember going, hey, are you signing this? Like I, and a uh, matter of fact, yesterday I looked online. I said, I wonder what I signed. Now, I don't know if it's changing, but you know, you know what phrase is in the contract that's hilarious? It says, there are things um, that uh, are inherently dangerous outside of all human control. Sign here. <laughs> that's what I signed. I'm a teenager and like, yes, put me down for that. Then I remember they gave us helmets. And I'm, I'm getting my helmet. I'm like, why do we need helmets? We're sitting in a raft. And uh, there was not a lot of instruction other than sign your life away, put a helmet on. And we got in the raft, and, um, and at first we're cruising along, and it was no big deal. It wasn't that different than the first float trip, except we all had paddles. And, of course, I'm a bunch of teenage guys. We want to see how fast we can go. And then all of a sudden something happened. Like uh, we got out towards the middle of the river, and, uh, and something grabbed a hold of us. They caught a current. And, uh, and man, it just took us. And we started going down this river, and like we were going fast, like you could feel the breeze. I remember thinking, this is pretty cool. Like I thought that was it, and it was pretty cool. And then the guide, who we had this really militant 50-year-old man as our guide, I'll never forget, he sat on the end, but he would stand up and he would talk to us, and it was fine at first. He was telling us about, we're going to need to stay together and do exactly what I say, and I was like, you know, this guy needs to chill out. And... um, until we came around this bend, and I heard a noise, and uh, this noise grew, and it was like this, this sound of uh, rush. It sounded like there was a waterfall somewhere really nearby. And the noise grew so loud that um, I saw his mouth moving, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. And then I looked over his shoulder, and I saw our river turn into this cauldron of white water, and then it disappeared. And I remember going... Hey, look! And this guy's like, listen to me! When we hit this rock, you gotta paddle back, everybody, hard right. We hit the, we go under, you're gonna die. I'm going, what? He said, if we swing around, you're gonna get sucked down. It's called double trouble. If we make it to the bottom, stay in the raft. Everybody's gotta paddle forward. I'm going, Look, you couldn't have gotten me at that point. I don't know how to describe this. I grabbed a hold of that raft with my hind end. And, uh, and I remember going, what? Like, I signed the deal. I'm, this is it. And we went into that cauldron, and we're just flapping the water. I don't know if you caught paddling. And we're spinning, and then drop. Boom! And we came up again. We lost two of our, I think there was eight in there. Two go flying overboard. I'd like to tell you I went after them, but I mean, I'm hunkered down. <laughs> when we get through Double Trouble, which is right before Table Saw, uh, we threw ropes 
and, uh, and reeled these guys back in in the uh, you know, freezing water conditions, and we get them back in. And there was a moment where it was kind of like everyone's checking their pulse. And we're like, are, are we okay? And as soon as everyone's like, yeah, eight people still breathing. She may or may not make it, but seven out of eight. You know what happened? We just start laughing. Like, oh, man. Wow. And I want to tell you, when we finished our trip a couple hours later, 10 rapids later, we're around a campfire, every other raft's unloading, people are sprinting to the fire. You know why? Not because they're freezing, many of them are freezing, because they couldn't wait to tell the stories. Like, you want, everyone starts, you won't believe what happened. And I mean, just people fighting to tell the stories of what happened when you were in the white water, in the current, and you were together, and you were fighting for your lives. You know, you know what hit me? feel like the church, generally speaking, it's kind of on this float trip. Like there's some beautiful scenes and it's like, wow, and we're cruising around. Everybody's getting a little bit more comfortable until most everybody's asleep. And I want to tell you that God didn't save you for a nap. He redeemed you and converted you and regenerated you so that you could go into the white water. Civil War General Turner Ashby said to his men, ride to the sound of the guns. Like get, like, get out there. Let the current take you where people will oppose you, where Satan will oppose you, where people's lives are on the line. Get out into the current where you are incredibly dependent, not upon a raft, but upon the Holy Spirit. And you're clinging And you'll go through things and you won't know how it's going to turn out or if you're going to make it. But you know what you're going to do the rest of your life? Listen to this. You're going to tell stories about what happened when you're in the white water and God showed up. He didn't just save you. He converted others. And in, in like, like in, the, in, the, in, the, in the sunset of our lives, that's the stories we'll tell. Nobody cares anymore how much money we made, how much stuff we owned, how famous we got. But those stories you will tell, and I think they will ring out for all of eternity. And harvest church, don't miss the privilege. Sri Lanka and Serbia, we can't go on those trips, they're gone. But you know what's coming this summer? Alaska, India, Guatemala, Honduras. Uh, You know what's coming up this uh, fall? About six more. You know what's coming up next spring? About eight more. Let's get in the current Proclaim it to the nations. Let's go. By the way, I can't go on those trips, family. God's brought the nations here. Get with Jeff and Suzanne Presley. Go to the nations at Visa on our college campus. Get with Brent and Sandra McBride. Go to the nations right here with World Relief. Or go across the street. Go across the street and act upon your privilege. It's scary. Exactly. Don't sleep on this one. Imagine if we all say, God, this week, give me double trouble. I'm riding to the sound of the guns. I'll tell you, you have stories to tell if you live like that. Father, I pray that we'd be a church that would that would just take such uh, joy 
not just in examining the scriptures, not just in deepening our theology, but in crying out, behold, the Lamb of God, like, like salvation is in him, that we share what he's done in our lives, that we share things that, gosh, they might not even make sense all the time, but that we trust and depend on your Holy Spirit to take these human words and to pierce hearts of stone and make them alive. That you would reap a great harvest, and it's for your glory. It is your glory. But make no mistake, it is our joy, and it is our privilege. Let us deploy well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We have the tables here. We're going to finish the Gospel of Luke in in celebration of... um, of a Savior who has been crushed for our sin and is risen, conquering sin, death, and the grave and has commissioned us to be his ambassadors. Is that worthy of celebration? It is. And so these crackers are his body, this juice is his blood, represents the body and blood broken and shed for us that salvation is found in him in no other name. And I want you to remember as you take communion this morning that our joy is proclaiming the good news. Let's not miss our privilege. So with that, the tables are open. If you want someone to pray with about how to know Christ, I'll be right over here. We'll have elders, leaders in the lobby and at each one of the gaps. Please talk to us. We'd love to pray with you. Thank you for listening to the audio from Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Feel free to make copies and distribute this content, but please do not charge for those copies.